0: On Melbourne's Positive Alternative 89.9 Light FM, you're in conversation with Clayton, and joining me is the author of the book, Workers' Inferno. It's the untold story of the SO workers 20 years after the explosion. Ramsina Lee joins me. G'day, Ramsina.
1: Hello, Clayton. How are you?
0: Uh, Look, I'm doing well, and it's wonderful to have a chat with you. Uh, I'm always fascinated when people uh, are willing, uh, many years on from when the, the news of the day was huge and everyone was talking about um, tragedies, to go back and, and talk to people who were there and, and find out what they've actually gone through. This is exactly something that you have done. Can we start off by maybe explaining to everybody what was this tragedy, what, what occurred? And then I'd like to ask you the question, why was it something that you wanted to go back and have a chat through? But maybe just for everybody listening, what actually occurred?
1: Thank you, Clayton. So on the 25th of September 1998, there was an explosion or a number of explosions at the Esso gas plant in the Gippsland in, um, in Longford and a number of people, two people were killed and a number of in people were injured. Um, physically injured were, I think, on the count about eight people, but there were a lot of people in the area and within Esso um, who suffered other injuries, such as psychological and emotional, I am not in any way associated with either the workers or ESO, and I wasn't at the time either. I just happened to be one of the many households who lost gas, the supply of gas to our household. And when I heard the news, um, it, I had a really, really um, strange emotional reaction to it, and my thoughts immediately went to the workers and what had happened to them. So that's sort of the genesis of it. Um, at the time, I really, really wanted to reach out to them for no reason. Um, I just I just had an urge to want to speak to the people. I'm not a counsellor. I'm not a social worker. So it was really quite a, a strange reaction. Um, and we couldn't. My husband and I tried to reach out, and we couldn't. But 12 months later, after all the legalities had been finalized, and court cases, we were able, through the Australian Workers' Union, to reach the workers in 1998.
0: Mm. And, and what was your heart of what you were hoping to, to, I suppose, do as you reached out to those workers?
1: One thing that I knew just from experience is the system is set up for legal issues, I guess. And, um, and I've been in, in corporate life for many years and I had been at that stage as well. And I just knew that somehow the voices of the people and the experiences of the trauma that that these people suffered um, would just disappear. The legal cases would take over, people would have to sign deeds and releases and confidentiality agreements. And the learnings that we could take from what happened to these people would just be totally wasted. And I wanted to give them a voice but more importantly, I want to give everybody through this book, who has had similar experiences, um, some understanding that they need to have a voice other than through the legal channels, because that is, in my opinion, part of the healing process. Yeah. And- so it was really, oh, sorry. So it really was to, to, in any way that I could, is is to bring communal knowledge and voice.
0: Yeah. And so was that something that you felt like uh, you were able to achieve um, in a short time? Or is that something that's still sort of 20 years on now that you write this book is still trying to be achieved?
1: Um, I believe it is still trying to be achieved because I don't think there's been any other book or exercise similar to this where we see a tragedy and say, I understand, I understand that there are all of these systems in place, including the legal system and the unions and the government and the employees, employers, but amongst all of this, there are human beings and we need to call that out and we need to give those people a voice not to impact any of the things that are in operation, such as legal cases but just to be able to sit and hear and listen to a mother grieving or a father Mm -hmm. or any member of the family who has been impacted by such a, you know, situation.
0: Yeah. And, Ramcina, as you sort of went through that period of time, and even now, I suppose, as you have gone back uh, 20 years after this tragedy, um, what was some of the... Um, I suppose that the stories or, or maybe the, the essence that was surprising to you, was was there something that as you went and talked to these people, you went, oh, wow, well, they're, they're, they're doing way better than I thought or, oh, boy, they haven't even been able to move on. What was the, the most startling thing, I suppose, as you went and, and talked with these people once again?
1: You know, Clayton, that's such an important question because I think as a society, we start relying on some of the proverbs that provide us with a lot of comfort. One of the proverbs that I'm used to, not in the biblical sense, but sayings, you know. Yeah. One of the sayings that I've really always anchored a lot of how I react to things is time heals all. Mm. And so when I reached out to these people after 19 years since the first conversation and 20 years, since you know, to publish the book. I realized that time doesn't heal anything. And I would say I'm just trying to make sure that my words are measured because I don't like to make really sweeping statements but I cannot recall any person that I connected with and spoke to who said, you know what, things have really moved on, I'm I'm feeling much better and I feel like I'm in control of my feelings. There was not one person who said that everyone to some extent said I just keep going day to day and I thought 19 years later it's still day to day. Yeah. yeah. And one of them actually said why are you doing this? We have tried to cover those wounds. Hmm. And we are just struggling, we are you know surviving on strings and you're going to cut that string. And of course we have to engage at different levels and I gave an undertaking nothing will be published without them having absolute veto over everything I put in my book. Yeah. That same person, after I had finished the book and sent the manuscript, wrote back and said, Thank you, you have changed our lives by giving us a voice. I mm-hmm. did not realize how must my voice had been during those years.
0: Yeah, uh, that's... Um quite a remarkable moment for me, Ramsina, too, that I would have imagined 20 years on from something there would be people who have said, all right, no, no, I understand it's a tragedy, but I've sorted stuff through. But the fact that nobody was actually able to um, step up and do that, um, what is your hope, I suppose, as we go forward from from this book? Often it's a question I ask at the end of an interview, but I think it's appropriate now um, to ask. As someone maybe reads the book, or are you actually hoping that they would... Is that the reason you're writing the book for someone to read it, that they would be impacted, or is it actually uh, the impact's already been achieved that you want? Because it's the the people who have shared the stories is that the main main reason for it. What's the point of the book, I suppose, for you?
1: Yeah, really good question, Clayton. The initial thought was to to give people these people a voice, and then I realised that in the 19 year period that since I interviewed people and, and this incident had happened, this tragic incident has happened, nothing has really changed. There are still accidents killing people at the workplace. There are still scaffolds collapsing and killing 18-year-olds like what happened in Sydney a little while ago. There are still workplace accidents happening. And so what I'm really hoping to do is to use this book as a channel to raise the awareness of the community at large Because I've realised it's not through government intervention and employment laws and employers. They have their role to play. But I think it's about helping people understand each one of us is actually responsible for our own life, for our own safety. And when things are not right, we need to put up our hand. We need to seek help. It's not that easy. I understand it's not easy. And I also understand that people don't even know, you know, their rights, they don't even know safety standards. But there comes a time when you know that something isn't right and we need to hear that and we need to be able as a community to say, let's listen to people's instincts as well as look at all the codes of practice and laws and legalities of what is essentially the life of each individual and our well-being. even though it's enshrined in legislation. We're talking about the basic human right." to live and breathe and to earn an income for their family or themselves.
0: Yeah. We're having a chat with uh, Ramsina Lee. She's the author of the book, Workers Inferno, the untold story of the SA workers 20 years after the explosion. We're gonna be back and having more of a chat with Ramsina in just a couple of minutes time. We wanna hear uh, one specific story that uh, really touched Ramcina and often painting the picture for for one individual helps us understand a a, a greater amount, but also um, what is the learning? Uh, that Ramsina takes from all of this knowledge, all of writing this book, for for all of us generally as a community. What's the thing that we can all learn from this the most? Her take on that next here on Light FM. In conversation with Clayton. On 89.9 Light FM, you're in conversation with Clayton and Ramcina Lee. She is the author of the book Workers Inferno. It's the untold story of the SO workers 20 years after the explosion. We've been hearing about that and been hearing also about the fact that there's been Many, many people who haven't felt like they really had a voice, they've been not really coping in those years. And we talk often about tragedies that occur in the world and, you know, it's all in our minds at the start and, uh, and yet we so often move on. But those who are affected by it have years and decades that they're still affected by that. Ram Ramcina, is there one uh, story, person story in particular that I really touched you? I'm sure they all did, but that, that you can share, I suppose. Often painting the picture for one person helps us understand that the greater story.
1: Yes, um, there is one story. So as a part of the accident at Esso, two people were killed immediately. And I described to some extent, based on the uh, Royal Commission hearings, um, you know, what, what they believed, investigators believed happened. And the two individuals were Peter Wilson and John Lowry. In my 1999 interviews, a lot of people spoke about the wonderful character of Peter Wilson and just the amazing person and and amazing presence he had. But hardly anybody spoke about John Lowry, and I sort of ended up having this impression that, you know, he—how how come I didn't get any information? A lot of people said he was a nice guy and. You know, they gave me as much information as they could, but I just didn't have that same sense of completeness with him. And so when I contacted the family members in, 19, in, um, in preparation for my book in 2018, a number of people who were related to John Lowry actually said, yes, we will talk about him. He was a very private person, and so you may not have a picture. And then... The character of John Lowry just grew bigger and bigger and bigger. And I got an amazing picture of this loving father and grandfather, mm. of this loving brother who had supported his sisters through really, really difficult child abuse, which is just described in the book, and a family whose legacy um, sadly seemed to be fire and burns. You know, his sister, when she was two or three years old, um, was burnt. Her nightie he caught on fire, and mm-hmm. basically, she died as a result of that. And the description that his surviving sister gave was really quite traumatic for myself. I actually couldn't write for about two days after hearing that story. Mm-hmm. And so I thought I thanked God that I actually had the opportunity to to present John Lowry to the world, as I did with Peter Wilson and everybody else in this tragedy, because he deserved to be known as his loving family knew him. And so I think that his character stood out most because it was a missing piece in my mind and in my storytelling.
0: Well, Encina, as you um, have he- heard these stories, as you've collated them, as you put them into a book, as you've gone and refined them again, and as you've then uh, released a book for, for others to, to read as well, um, what's, uh, I suppose, your learning for us generally as a society? Um, is it uh, about the, the big picture things of how we should be maintaining it? Is it about the individual? I, I want to leave it up to you. But what's your big learning that you take out of all of this that you can share with, with all of us generally?
1: I think the learning that I would like to share is to encourage people when you hear about a tragedy or when you hear about something that has happened and affected people's lives, is to ask yourself, what is the experience for the individual or individuals there now? It's almost like, it's it's not this intense, but it's almost like meditating on a particular character in that particular event. And the reason I encourage that is that I believe that we will start appreciating life beyond the noise, beyond the stories that we hear on the newspapers, and beyond the legal systems. Everybody you know, talks about who won and who lost and there's gonna be an appeal. And I just shave all that away and I look at the individuals on the screen and depending on who you are and how you, you know, wish people well, I pray for them or I, I talk to other people about them. If I can, you know, I'll, I'll donate, whatever the situation is. But it's to walk away from the noise, walk away from the, I guess, the glamour in a way, because that's what the, sometimes the media can do is just glamourise a situation and just ask yourself, who is in this picture that I'm hearing about? And I faced that really, really strongly during the bushfires, the recent bushfires. And every time someone was announced as being dead, I heard the name, I heard the age. And then I saw wife, brother, sister, you know, and, and then that's what the reality was for me. And I believe that the strength from that is that you then become more active and you look around for situations where you can contribute and influence and make a better world in the situation that you find yourself, you know, with the yeah. stories that you find yourself. For me, it was work, health and safety. Yeah,
0: excellent. Yeah. Ramsina, we thank you. I think that's just such a, a profound moment to, uh, a, a, as we finish, to, to be thinking about something that we can do, that is something that uh, can change us and then ultimately change the, the world as well as we react in different ways too. Uh, we wish you all the best with this book, Workers Inferno, that it would indeed uh, have people asking those sorts of questions. Ramcina, thanks again for your time.
1: Thank you, Clayton, very much.